Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be talking about the Derek Favors trade. And I'm also going to be going league-wide to just be grading some teams around the league and how I think everybody performed in Thursday's NBA draft. But you got to start things out with the Derek Favors trade. And this happened maybe six hours after the draft officially ended. So I finished my latest podcast maybe like an hour and a half before the news dropped on Favors. So was I a little bit upset about it? Absolutely. Um, But I was upset about the timing of it, of course. The deal itself, I think it's personally great. But yeah, that's kind of the state of where things were at. But the deal itself is amazing, like I mentioned. So the Thunder, they pick up Derek Favors from the Utah Jazz, and they also get a first-round pick just to latch right onto it. And the Thunder, they're giving out absolutely nothing. And when I'm saying this, I guess technically there's a tiny bit of value here, but they're giving a, away a 2027 second round pick. And the funniest part about this is Sam Presti has been just collecting these 2027 seconds like nobody's business. It made no sense why he was doing it. I guess 2027 last season was the furthest back you could go in terms of trading assets away. But he was just hoarding these up, and he's got to the point where I think there's four now, and the Jazz, they get the last pick at those four. So they had the least favorable of four second round picks. So if the value were, you know, if it wasn't already depleted as is, it just got wrenched. So they're not going to have a very good pick. And when you delve into some of those 2027s, I don't know off the top of my head, I think they got one from the Pacers in the LeCue trade. I don't know where I'd see them in 2027, though, so it it really doesn't matter. It's going to be a total crapshoot, but if you got four teams aligned right there, chances are whatever pick it is is going to be like in the upper 40s or in the 50s. So they gave up um, favors in that first for pretty much nothing, and the reason they end up doing this move is simply to clear up cap space. And Derek Favors, he's really not on a contract, in my opinion, that should warrant trading up a first-round pick. And we don't know if it's protected. We don't know what year it is. It's just like this clean slate that Woj, you know, pushed out there. And it's kind of weird, because even prior to this, whenever I think Shams actually reported it alongside one of the athletic people with the Jazz. I mean, they reported this deal, but they couldn't get into the fine-tuned details yet. So it's very awkward, and it's still still a bit obscure, but at least we know it's that first. If it's unprotected, that's just crazy. I couldn't see it being that way. There's got to be some sort of safety net, kind of like what we saw when the Rockets traded in the Russell Westbrook deal. And because of that, they got Jalen Green suiting up for them. You know, if they didn't have it unprotected, we'd have Jalen Green on our team or we'd have Evan Mobley or something like that. It would have been completely wild this whole season. And maybe they wouldn't have done anything with Harden. It would have been messy. But yeah, like, you know, those protections come in handy. So you're not going to be giving out an unprotected pick for Derek Favors. And the deal that he's on is like two years for $20 million. This season, he's making 10 mil. After that, it might gradually go up like a couple percentages, but it's still kind of that ballpark range of 10 mil this year, 10 mil next year. And he's 30 years old right now, so by the end of this, he's going to be 32. Look, Derek Favors is a good guy. And whenever he got drafted back in 2010, 
he was actually balling out. Like, I remember the days where it was him and Al Jefferson just bullying everybody inside against the Thunder. They were a nightmare to play against. And then he kind of just fizzled away. Like, he had a stint with the Pelicans. He might have been on another team, too, honestly. He's one of those guys where it's like, oh, yeah, he did play here. He did play there. Found his way back to the Jazz, though, and they had to cut ties to them because of this salary. And like I said, I don't think it's that bad. The big reason they have to do this, though, is because they do not want to go into the luxury tax. And when you look at what they need to do in this offseason, they do need to retain Mike Conley, and that's kind of the, the whole premise of this deal. If Mike Conley was under the blanket, they didn't have to worry about this luxury tax, you say goodbye to this first-round pick, and you say goodbye to Derek Favors. Both of them are kind of assets to the Thunder. And you have these players that are seen as dead weight, right? Like Al Horford, he was clearly dead weight. 33, maybe 34 when we brought him in. He might have been, I think he was 34 actually. Bring him in, we ship him off, we got a first round pick and Kemba. Kemba could get traded in the next week. And that one first round pick at 16 turned into two. And whether or not I like those picks... It's another story, but we got two first-round picks out of that, so they can he can flip stuff. Now, in terms of Derek Favors, I don't think he's at a point in his career where he can just rejuvenate and become this monster and like a steal for his contract, especially for assets, but you kind of look at him as like a George Hill type for what we had from last season, because George Hill comes in and, you know, he just kind of fell in line with all the deals that kind of just got stumbled around like oh hey you know George Hill is on the team and he came in he was that veteran that kind of took place of Chris Paul and I don't know that's like a disservice but yeah George Hill's been around the league forever so he was kind of that guy he got to start with SGA until the hand injury and then he was off and running maybe that's what you see with favors the only issue though is point guards are kind of more at a premium and there's a fine line between you know, who you're going to play playoff minutes at point guard as opposed to a power forward or center, especially when Derek Favors isn't this like luxurious stretch for, right? Like he's working in the mid range, he's working on the interior, and he's getting a lot of rebounds. So he's one of those more gritty guys, which are, you know, it's appealing to some people, but I don't know if he has, you know, a price tag worth of 10 mil. I don't know if that's worth it. But anyways, I mean, he's going to come in and he's the only center on the roster right now because they moved away Moses Brown. They got rid of Tony Bradley. They didn't want to draft any centers in this class. They might get more in free agency, but Derek Favors is it. Unless you want Roby playing or Jeremiah Robinson Earl, which would not be very conventional at all. You need to be playing him at the five. So Derek Favors is our five. And when you see what he did for the Jazz last year, he just had that decent backup role and he did an all right job. Averaged 5.4 points and 5.5 rebounds playing 23 minutes. Would I expect the same kind of minute restriction there or just the same kind of spot? Probably. I wouldn't see him go after 25 plus. Now, even though we have this kind of minute crunch, or we not even a minute crunch, we just don't have minutes at the five right now. I think it's going to get healed by the time that the season starts. Like They're not going to go into free agency and not be prepared. They clearly had a plan in mind when they said, we're not even going to go after a center. And if that's the case and they don't get a center in this free agency, I'm going to be confused 
beyond belief. But Favors is going to have rotational minutes. And the good thing about this is he can try to get that stock up. I don't exactly know, like I said, if he's the Al Horford type or whatever, where you can try to move him. Maybe there's another seen as worse contract in a couple months to where Favors doesn't look that bad on the other side. But I will say, this is kind of one of those where I could genuinely see Derek Favors maybe even stay past this season, which is something that seems ridiculous. Uh, but I don't know. I think it's a little bit of a harder sell than maybe we're currently thinking of now and if he's going to be starting he's going to get the stat pads like moses brown for example would favors be a double double machine hell yeah he'd be a double double machine if we have the same kind of offensive production and granted sga is going to be back so that's not even something moses brown got to experience past like two games in like january so maybe it would be different but he probably would have a, a bit better of a stat line going into the trading market. Anyways, though, I mean, let's not kid ourselves here. This was a deal meant for that first round pick. So you add more, you actually have more first round picks than you drafted on Thursday, which is ridiculous. You pick up the two from Houston and now you get one from the Jazz. You thought that they were going to take all those picks, right? Like you have those three first at 6, 16, and 18, but you have 34 and 36. I thought they were going to crack the code. 34 and 36 was going to go to the late 20s, and looks like they got their guy anyways, so it's really nothing but a label at that point, but I thought they'd make a bigger play, and they didn't do that, so they're still playing this long game, and that's clearly just an indicator of what's to come. This is not a one, two-year rebuild. This is going to be a slow, slow process and you have SGA here who's clearly a star I'm kind of curious to see how everything works out even like Lou Dort and some of these guys like there are some really good players on this roster but it's pretty obvious that the Thunder are trying to be just developing having rookies and they want to have kind of you know those moments of weakness to to build them back up they need to get that rep in so I guess even then, it would help having a guy like Derek Favors because believe it or not, he's actually the longest tenured NBA player on the Thunder roster now. It's not Kemba Walker, it's Favors, and I had to search it up, but Kemba, he was in 2011. Derek Favors, he got picked really high in 2010, so he's going to be hitting his 12th season in the NBA, and maybe he can kind of bring that leadership before he eventually goes if you know that's the route that gets taken most likely i think that'd be the mutual um kind of discussion that you would have but yeah long story short they got a first round pick and they did not have to give up anything to do so but moving on into the draft this is where i'm going over you know the winners and the losers here and a lot of people want to do like an a through f just like a school grade system of this this is really just highlighting things for me. Like, I don't want to go into, like, the A pluses and, like, A minuses. Like, what kind of di what kind of difference does that make, you know? So, I think you just draw a line right down the middle and you say who's above this line and who's below this line. And there's a lot of middle-of-the-pack teams. Like, people who are just in the mid-first round taking mid-first caliber guys. Like, I'm not going to put them on a pedestal. I know the Knicks, for example, they took Keon Johnson at 21. I had him rated as my 10th best guy so stuff like that even though I think that would 
put them above that line. They're not so high up to where I feel like I need to talk about them right now. But I will say that was a really good pickup for the New York Knicks. And the deal that they made with us to get those two second round picks was a pretty good one for them if they did not want Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And even if they did, looks like the value was just too good to pass up on for them. But I want to start out with the biggest winner of Thursday night. And it pains me to say this, but I think it's the Houston Rockets. And man, when you look at this draft class, I've said it and I'm going to say it again. Like, I don't think it's just Cade Cunningham. And then you got this second tier of like Mobley and Jalen Green. And even Jalen Suggs gets thrown into the second tier sometimes. But I think there's a tier one. And I think the tier one is Cade Cunningham. And I think it's Jalen Green. I think the separation between those two maybe is not as large as people believe. And it's kind of hard to compare people like this, obviously. That's why you say this tier is like perennial all-star or whatever. I think Jalen Green has that potential. He's more of that like scorer, though. He's going to be going for 30. He's going to be leading you just shooting the basketball. He's going to be a nightmare. Whereas Cade, he's going to be a nightmare, but also on top of that, he's a guy who can go up for triple doubles. And Jalen Green, he can go up there. He's six foot six, super athletic, but he's kind of more just that scorer type who does have some good vision when he does need a pass. Just differing play styles a little bit, but I think they're so damn good. And if Jalen Green was in the year before this or any year before this, like five years time, I would have said he's the first pick. And the way he played with the G League Ignite was just special. Some of the stuff he was able to do on a daily basis was ridiculous because you have to keep in mind, they played 15 games in the span of like a month, maybe not even a month. They get booked in in February. I think it was like middle of February, actually, like February 10th or something, because I know Poku got brought back. He played a game in in February, I think. So it was wacky, but he played a lot of time over there, and he was just impressive every single time I saw him step foot on the floor. He's just going to be able to light it up. So a two could not go wrong. Only bad deal for them was if they traded out of this pick. So good for them. They did not. And then they followed it up with that trade with us, where they're giving up Two protected picks that the Thunder are not going to see for like three, four years. And I know one of them is from the Wizards. I think one of them is from the Pistons. One of them is from the Pistons. I think the other one is from the Wizards. I got to check it. But point being, like it really doesn't matter. The deal is the protections on these early on are ugly. Like you got to bet on the Pistons making the playoffs next year and then the year after that. You're not even looking at potential assets coming back until 2024. So it's like it was a good deal maybe on paper because the value itself was nice. But when you already have heavy protections on teams that aren't necessarily in contention and maybe they're trying to, but they're still not going to reach that point for a couple more years, it just seemed like a weird move. So they flipped those two picks that really I don't think matter to them because they have two unprotected picks of their own for the next two seasons then they start loaning to OKC so they just gave those away and we're able to get a guy right now who has a ton of potential you're not going to find a player like this at 16 again even if he does terrible at the next level this is good value taking Alperin Sengun because of the footwork because of his ability around the basket and his rebounding 
abilities. You know, he is that guy who's supposed to be the next Cantor type of guy. You know, the sub-bonuses. And the one saying is, like, you play Sengun against an 18-year-old version of, you know, a Vucevic or a Cantor and say he was better than that version. I don't know. I mean, you can pick it any way you want, but he's extremely skilled for an 18-year-old. And bringing him on, he's going to be perfect. And the one issue is he can't shoot. That sucks for them because if you have Jalen Green, if if you have Kevin Porter Jr. for the long term, which they should, you probably want to have another guy who can go out and pick and pop so you can run five out and all that. Sangoon can't do that, but even then, it was a bargain for what it was worth. And it gives you a safety net if Christian Wood just becomes you know, too much to be paying. Like right now, he's on a very good deal. And even then, I mean, you can still run Christian Wood at the four and then Sengun at the five because Christian Wood has been a power forward most of his career, really. He didn't turn into a long-term five until he started playing with Houston. So that's the only change I've seen with him positionally. He can play at the power forward just fine. So they got top 10 value, really, with Sengun. I had him rated ninth on my board so I thought pretty highly of him I like the potential that you can see and then after that they got another guy who I had really high up in Usman Garuba out of Real Madrid and this is a guy who slid and this is a person that a lot of people have differing opinions about because he's really good in about two areas of the game outside of that though he is extremely raw like he's not able to shoot just like Sangoon Maybe a bit of a face-up midi, but it's not consistent enough for me to check any sort of boxes there. The big deal is just his energy he brings below the basket. He's able to contribute rolling inside, but the rebounding and the putbacks is vicious. And the way he's able to reject the basketball is wild. And he's pretty good at avoiding fouls as well. So he's a defensive monster who has a lot of length and pretty good feet you know he can move around laterally so you might even see him stepping out to the perimeter at times and he was playing with Real Madrid that's you know a team in the second best league in the world and it wasn't like he was getting torched all the time so he held up getting him at 23 was wild and then you followed it up with Joshua Christopher who didn't have the most impressive year with ASU and I didn't really have him that high on my draft board, but he's one of those guys that has that potential there as a shot creating wing. I'd want to compare him to like the Terrence Ferguson pick from a couple years ago, but I don't know. I don't think you can draw as many parallels. Like I will say though, Christopher is athletic. Terrence Ferguson was pretty damn athletic. When you look at the defensive end, you know, I'd say both them have had a lot of upside in that category. And shooting-wise, I'd say Christopher has a lot more hype surrounding him in that department than Ferguson did. But you can't discredit the fact, whenever we got Ferguson, like, there was still tape of him with Adelaide. uh, Just, like, you know, running down, pulling up shots, right? So, I think you could try to draw that. It might not be the best one, though. Point is, though, this was a potential pick, and... Jalen Green and Christopher have pretty much played basketball with each other forever, like AAU days, high school days, I believe. Definitely not college, of course, but they've been playing together for like 10 years, maybe. You know, just something wild, like from childhood best friends to being on the same team 
they immediately have that bond together. And I think that's actually going to uplift Josh Christopher and kind of help him reach his potential when he has a teammate who controls the ball, knows exactly where he's going to be, kind of that yin and yang partnership. So it works out. And then when you check out their roster, obviously they will need to figure out where the ball is going to go between Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. because they're not, I'd say Green is a better passer, but I mean, they need the ball so much. It's not like they're off the ball. I think they all are better just handling it themselves. Then you have Kenyon Martin Jr., of course, Christian Wood, Sangoon, Jay Sean Tate, Eric Gordon, who they probably are going to move on from anyways. And you got Garuba, Christopher. And you can just go down the line of people that they uh, that they have on the roster. But they built a really good foundation. And with the next two picks they're going to have, they are going to be set for a very long time. So I think the Thunder made a mistake trading Sangoon to them just because I think the picks are not really that spectacular now if you send those off in another package they might be better off but I don't think the value is overwhelming and Sangoon has that potential to where by the time the Thunder starts seeing their picks you already know Jalen Green's gonna be a monster Sangoon could be that for them too and you already have a decent bit of guys with potential and you got two more draft picks so they'd probably be hunting around this sick number 16 pick anyways so we'll have to see how it shakes out i just think the rockets did a really good job not just drafting but also trading uh, trading into the draft itself but i'd say behind them is the charlotte hornets and they were able to get james book Knight. thunder that's what the majority of the fan base wanted they wanted james book Knight to be the guy next to shea gilgis alexander and maybe people have changed their opinions now that Josh Giddy has kind of cemented himself. Like he's got the interview with the media already done. Like he is part of the future. You got to get ready. You can't be kind of dwelling in the past or whatnot. But a lot of people love Book Knight, love the shot creation ability with him. And you already have LaMelo Ball right next to you. And they have guys like Terry Rozier. They got Devontae Graham. I don't know what's going to go on with Malik Monk, to be honest with you. Like, he's just been this person with a ton of potential who's never gotten it together for a long enough stretch. He's gone off at, like, the beginning of the seasons before, and you think he's a star. But then he kind of drops back down into his median numbers. But James Booknight gives them new life, and he does give them that guy who can play off of LaMelo, just like he would have with SGA, because he's not controlling with the basketball but he can still ISO and score 20 on his own. He just relieves the pressure so well. And I think that's why James Booknight was valued so high, not with people in the top 10, of course, but from an outsider's perspective, people just evaluating prospects. That's what they saw in James Booknight. They saw a really good complimentary piece. And another guy that you could say that with is Kai Jones. And they traded up to get Kai Jones or actually they traded back in to get Kai Jones here because this was originally a pick owned by the New York Knicks they actually were interested in Trey Mann with that selection once he went off at 18 they started looking at potential suitors for the pick and then the Hornets jumped in they were able to get Kai Jones a guy that the Thunder could have used because Kai Jones he's a pick and roll specialist another person who just fits LaMelo Ball's play style so well. And to top it all off, 
he might actually be able to shoot a little bit and this is not something that you know for a fact if he was a shooter he wouldn't have gone at pick 19 but he has the capabilities to do so he's shown it on occasion that he can hit so he's more of just the roller right now but also on defense he's able to bring energy in terms of rejections rebounds and whatnot so the tempo in charlotte is going to be wild and they cemented that into the ground with their next pick in the second round taking jt thor at 37 i wanted the thunder to take them at 34 or 36 maybe they had jt thor as the next guy up if they didn't have to make that move for jre but yeah jt thor is a great project and i thought that he was going to go the houston rockets in the 20s i think a lot of people assume that until maybe a week before the draft and then he started slipping back down but this was a really good stash just like it was with sangoon if it doesn't work out the potential was there and hey you just go back to the drawing board there's not a big loss here at 37 anyways so they were able to take this risk and it's a very good one because he's a six foot ten small forward power forward hybrid. You've heard me rave about him forever, really. I had him 16th on my big board. But this guy is so athletic. He's kind of like a string bean right now. But yeah, I mean, the athleticism just pops off as a shot blocker. He's able to use his wingspan. He can close out on the perimeter. And the three-point shot looks pretty fluid now whether he's consistent is still a question but they're bringing him in just like they did with Jaden mcdaniels almost and with mcdaniels he went from just being stored away in the g league with the swarm and just like barely making the cut on the real roster now he's actually been contributing and they might take throw on that path or they might just let him play right away i think either is good he just has a lot of potential for a second rounder so they know what they're doing they you know they're taking the guys that everyone has a lot of hype um you know hype attached to them just like the nuggets used to do and they kind of still did it uh with their pick in sean bones highland but yeah they definitely got a home run here in their three guys i think they got a couple more in the 50s but i'm honing in on the three that they took early on in the class and two guys that got taken early came out of golden state and Kuminga and Moses Moody. And Jonathan Kuminga, if he was there at seven, I feel like you needed to take him. And the surprise was they had options between him and Book Knight, really. And the Warriors might have wanted Josh Giddy. That's what I've heard at seven. But they had the choice here between Kuminga, Book Knight, really anybody. Settle on Kuminga, who I don't know how the fit works exactly because you need a guy who can shoot. He's more this project who has a, a lot of potential, but you need to win right now. So can you put him on next to Stephen Clay? You sure as hell could, and he'd probably still play decent for you, but you need to make sure he can create for himself. And the only scary part is he's not in that sort of situation. He's in the situation where they need him to be useful. Every time he takes a shot up, there's no room for error. And that's a that's a little bit of a caution and the warriors are very good at developing talent like i still think that they want to try to home grow him for like four or five years it'd still work out but i think if you were to place him under the thunder system or just 
kind of that lower tier team right now, you'd see the results a lot quicker and they'd probably be a lot better. So it's not a knock on the value itself. Like I'm talking this like they're a loser. They're clearly not a loser. This was the best true talent guy on the board, but I don't know about the fit. I will say though, for a trade package, Jonathan Kuminga, five stars. Better guy to pick up than Josh Giddy in terms of value in all honest opinion here. And at small forward, everybody needs a star small forward. I think you can fill out the, like shooting guards, for example, easier than you could with a small forward. You want to find a star. Jonathan Kuminga has the capability of that. So at seven, that was amazing. But they followed it up with taking Moses Moody, who almost slipped out of the lottery. And that would have been ridiculous. When you talk about what the Warriors could have done, I pick number seven, and I wouldn't have condoned it, of course, but they needed a three and D player. So that would have been like a Davion Mitchell or Franz Wagner, for example. And I don't think Wagner's good, but I do think the archetype really would have fit what the Warriors needed, at least to play right now. But Moses Moody does that for you, and I would have thought he'd be gone by like pick 10 or 12 on a good day but he's there at 14. They're not going to make any chances or make any mistake here. Best option, take Moses Moody. He's going to be able to shoot for you, but also he's 6'6", like a seven foot wingspan almost. So he can play well on the defensive side of the ball too. So Kuminga's more of the long-term. I think Moses Moody, you could actually see results quick. And that's one of the notes that I made on him before the draft. I still think that sticks. He could play with the big guys and just kind of sit around in the corner and be pretty damn effective. Mikel Bridges was my comp for him, but yeah, that was my take on the two lottery guys. The Atlanta Hawks did a lot of damage and they didn't even have to work in the lottery. They got Jalen Johnson at 20 and then they got Sharif Cooper at pick 48. The bowl bowl of this draft class. How did you fall that far? I don't know how stuff like this ends up working out. But the Atlanta Hawks, they were not going to take any sort of risk here. You know, just, I, I guess it could be a risk if he keeps sliding. But at what point is it just like, take him anyways? And there might be like injury concerns. I don't know what the concern would have been with Sharif Cooper. Dude's averaging 20 points and 8 assists in a game. But, as a freshman too, by the way. But just no one wanted him. And they get Sharif Cooper not even middle of the second round. This is later on, I guess, kind of late to middle. So I might be nitpicking it just a little bit, but it's wild. I mean, this guy was closer to being undrafted than being a first round pick. And he was, what, 14 on my board? That makes me sound like an idiot if he's sliding that far. But you look at the speed, you look at the passing ability, the shot sure isn't pretty. But at worst, he's one of those energy guys that you put in off the bench. At best, he's going to be starting. And you get a guy in him who just helps out a ton because when you looked at what they could have done with 20, I had them mock taking Jaden Springer because I saw him as this like 6'5 combo guard who could play the backup point guard or even shift into the two if need be. They just needed someone behind Trey Young. That was a big deal. So to get Sharif Cooper this late just doesn't make sense at all to me. And then they also got really just another player to the likes of Cam Reddish at 20 and Jalen Johnson. 
And Jalen Johnson has a lot of upside in this draft class. We really didn't get to see him much when he was playing for Duke. Same goes for high school days as well. But regardless, I mean, he's always been the top of his class because he could handle it and he was super athletic. The shot, we don't know too much about that currently, but he's had a lot of potential. And with Cam Reddish, we knew there was talent when he got selected. And when he was sliding, I think he got picked 10th in his class. It just didn't make sense. Like, it seemed like he was going to be hovering around like 5 to 8. But no. He just kept dropping and dropping. They took him at 10, and he's been all right in some cases. I don't think he's in the best environment, to be honest, but it's almost like he's dangled on the trade block, and this is a really good pick by the Hawks if they want to try to trade Cam Reddish for another future first or just immediate players right now because Reddish, he's still somewhat hot as a commodity. He's going to be up for extension in like a year or so now, so that might be a turnoff for some teams, but I don't think he's going to be worth an outrageous amount based on what he's done thus far. Now, he's had those games where he's dropping 20. I know in the elimination game for the Hawks, he did go off. That was like one of the best performances of the year for him, but right now, yeah, you're not going to be going wild trying to pay the man, so he's a good person to take a try on, like when I was talking trades for the Thunder, Pick 16 for Cam Reddish seemed like a really good deal, and I said you do that unless there's like a Sangoon or a Keon Johnson or whoever it was. I honestly like Trey Mann now. I think at 16, I would have taken him uh, based on the, the skill set and all that, but I mean, yeah, I, I don't know what the value is. You maybe toss a pick to them, you swap hands, but it doesn't matter because if they do that, Jalen Johnson's got a fresh four years on his contract and he has the skill, it's just everything else that you kind of need to question, like the work ethic, is his personality amazing, like why did he slide this far if people didn't have some issue, there has has to have been some common denominator here, because the skill would have granted him a lottery selection, and I think I had him like ninth on my mock draft too, uh, to the Kings, but yeah, I mean they take him at 20, they get two people who had no right to be that low in the class and I think the Steele and Cooper's like a million times better than what you saw with Johnson of course because the slide there might have been some good reasonings you could have drew up beforehand but still if Jalen Johnson's not that great it's not a big loss for you anyways so I thought the Hawks did a really good job in terms of kind of getting some value back but also filling a need really late on in the draft. And the 76ers are the kings of doing this. They are the clear-cut number one team when it comes to selecting pass pick number 45. And Cooper, he got taken at 48, but the 76ers got into action in the 50s, and they got on a tear there. They got two guys that I both love. I think I had them both right on the cusp of my top 30. I had... Yeah, one of them was 30, and the next one was at 31. But they started out with Jaden Springer, and this was a draft pick that, honestly, I don't know about. I mean, they need to be putting the pedal to the metal, in my opinion. Now, Springer's the youngest player in the class. He has looked good defending. Athletically, he's also pretty skilled. 
The thing is, though, and I actually guess Primo might be a, a bit younger. I don't know uh, on that one. But, yeah, he's super young. He just needs to work on the shot and a little bit of the ball handling, too, because he can kind of screw himself over with some of the combinations he tries kind of drawing up out of nowhere. But they take him. He's one of those potential picks. I would have thought that a Kessler Edwards or just a three-point shooter who could just plug in off the bench would have made a lot more sense maybe even like an Isaiah Todd I know they have Paul Reed there already but just something to the likes of that I think that's more of those uh more well-drawn out people kind of like a Kuminga in Golden State like is there good value at pick 28 absolutely there is but by fit and by what your current objective is is it the greatest I don't know I think the last two though are, are still solid and they started out with Philip Petrusev, and I had him ranked fi- or 30th on my board. They took him 50th overall, though, and he's coming off of not just a MVP year in the Adriatic League, but before that, he was one of the guys with the Gonzaga Bulldogs, and Drew Timmy took over kind of his spot. That's why he moved back to Serbia to play. Not obviously the only reason there was COVID and things too but he came over there and was a monster because with Gonzaga he was great in the mid-range uh great just posting up really but he didn't have that jumper and he shot 42 percent from downtown last season in Serbia so he's a clear-cut shooter and I don't know if he's going to be immediately transitioning over to the NBA ranks or what maybe there's some like messy situation with his contract but he's only 21 years old, so he has a lot more growing to do, and the three just came out of absolutely nowhere, and he's not athletically wild. When you say what are new points of entry for him to just excel at, I just say get better at what he's doing because he has the three levels scoring down. He just needs to kind of fine-tune it, and he'll be good as a bench player, but yeah, this is someone that you scoop up. You can put him in the G League again, and just like Paul Reed might go off, get that MVP or something, but he's going to be a bench person for you, I think, regardless. So with him almost going undrafted, they did a great job. And I think after that, with Charles Bassey, they might have done even better for what they're currently sitting at because they have Joel Embiid behind him. They've had Dwight Howard. They just don't really have that primary like shooter per se, and they had Mike Scott too and things, but they need another project there. And Paul Reed was that. He's a front court guy who has just oozing from the seams with potential, but he's like six foot eight or something, and he's clearly a power forward. When you look at Charles Bassey, he's more six nine, six ten. He's been a center all this time though. So you're not trying to do like the Isaiah Roby type of rotation moves where it's like, why the hell would you do that? No, this is a pretty clear cut one with uh where Bassey would be at. And he's just like Petrusev, where he's all offense right now. And even on defense, he had like three blocks a game, so he can reject shots. But on offense, really soft touch around the basket. The face-up midi's good, but he can pick and pop. And they need somebody like that with Philly right now. So they got spectacular value for just not being in the greatest spot in terms of where they were drafting at and I think right behind them is the Brooklyn Nets they're kind of on that same exact spectrum Cam Thomas at 27 getting a top scorer here they needed one based on Dinwiddie probably leaving and Bruce Brown who they do have uh restricted 
rights over right now. He's a restricted free agent. I don't know what the money's going to look like for him. So Cam Thomas would be a bench guy right away. And then Dayron Sharp, one of those stretch fives you can work with. And then you have Kessler Edwards, a 3 and D person who should have a relatively high floor where he's going to be contributing at least from a bench roll. So those are my winners. I'd say for my losers, it's kind of hard to pick some of these apart because some of the picks I like, some of them I don't. I'm just going to go with it anyways. And I'd say the Indiana Pacers are there for me personally because they did get Chris Duarte at 13 and Isaiah Jackson at pick 22. And I like Isaiah Jackson. I think he's just like Kai Jones, just really athletic at the five spot and might be able to shoot. They could use a guy like that. Of course they could. Chris Duarte is the one though where I'm kind of scratching my head. And when you check teams that would be going after 24-year-olds, this is just something the Pacers would do. Like they love going after those older guys, right? They don't like the 19-year-olds with the fresh face with the high potential. They want to go after the guys who can immediately come in and play for you and the ceiling might not be wild and we don't know like Chris Duarte might jump over and be like Donovan Mitchell was in his first year where he's dropping 15 16 points and he could be dropping 20 points in the next two to three years then this pick looks awesome but I'm just saying right now this is one of those moves like a contender would be making if you're trying to make an imprint right now you take Chris Duarte and they take him here their roster's good. It's so well-rounded, but are they going to be able to topple the Bucks or the 76ers or the Nets? Goodness gracious, with a lineup like this plus Chris Duarte? I don't know about that. I think they should have gone after maybe Moses Moody, for example, where obviously Chris Duarte's really just multiversed offensively, and as a shot creator, Moody just has the specs there but Moses Moody he's like 19 years old yeah he's 19 and Duarte's 24 so that would have been my pick if you wanted to go shooting guard and you wanted to have someone who might be able to create just a little bit that's just me and with Jackson I don't really have a problem with it so the Pacers one good one bad for me it's just one of those where it's a little bit head scratching I might need to talk to some people covering the Pacers on that one. After that, though, you have another thing where it's a package of two. I like one of them. I don't like the other one. And it's Davion Mitchell going to at number nine to the Kings. And then after that, they followed it up with uh, Namas Queda at 39. I like him out of Utah State. Just another athletic big man who is going to be able to reject shots for you. Not really a shooter. Davion Mitchell is... But they still have Buddy Heald, and it's just messy all around. Like, I'd say they're almost the Western Conference version of the Pacers, where they have good people, and they're actually prospering now since they have Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox. But are you going to run a three-guard lineup with those guys? And then what happens with Harrison Barnes? What happens with Buddy Heald? You thought you traded, but you didn't. It just turned into a messy situation with them taking him. So he is going to be one of those immediate impact guys, just like a Moody would be. But is it going to get hindered based on the rotation? So that's why I would have thought they would have taken a Jalen Johnson, because I seriously thought if they got one more home run pick, they're not looking at this 
phase of mediocrity anymore. They would have pushed out of that if they got a star here. And Davion Mitchell, he can be that, but then you got to go to the boardroom and figure out how you make those three coexist with each other. Because maybe it's possible, but they clearly have a height discrepancy if they're rolling those three out in a starting lineup every time. Because Davion Mitchell's like six foot one on a good day. De'Aaron Fox, he's not like six five, six six. Halliburton's kind of around there, but you running Halliburton at the three or something? I don't know. So it's just weird for them. And then I have the Spurs as well. And I can never really knock the Spurs. Like this Josh Primo pick is one of those where it's the Spurs doing it. If it was anybody else, you would be hating on it completely. They would be my number one person on the board and that'd be that but since it's the Spurs they got a really good history of getting like the Derek Whites or the Keldon Johnsons late first round amazing and now they're at 12 and they want to take Joshua Primo you have to think they see a lot in that kid so he could be great for them I mean shot creation was the uh, the big deal with him he's just supposed to be a scorer but also his frame allows him to be very good on defense he's just really raw though so they need to make it a very long process and I think it's good actually I don't think the Spurs are really in a spot where they're gonna push Primo away I think they'd actually invite him to make mistakes because they're not really in the running for contention anymore I think they finally have gotten onto that and then I mean after that in the second round they got Joe's Wieskamp who's just a shooter to my knowledge but the primo pick was kind of just that flyer and I almost feel like they could have traded back if they wanted to like they almost certainly could have moved 12 for 16 and 18 and maybe the thunder tried to do that and maybe it was just like Josh Giddy, where the value is just totally off on where talent evaluators on the internet versus like those inside NBA circles are thinking it could have been a scenario where the Pacers would have taken him or the Wizards or whoever whoever it would have been right even the Warriors which would have been a really obscure one so they just want to take it safe like we did with Jerome Robinson Earl I guess so I guess you respect the the pick itself but yeah I mean that's one of those where you're gonna have to look at this in two three years to make that final decision so those are the three people I had mocked as the losers going into what the Thunder did I really talked about them for like a whole hour in the last podcast but they're definitely not a loser like I feel like people are gonna label them there they're not a loser whatsoever and when you check out they had all these different draft picks maybe you want to say that I think the consolidation with 34 and 36 to move up two spots was bad value but if they got their guy, that clearly makes up for it. I just thought you would go after the boomer bus, maybe, instead of a Jerome Robinson Earl, who is really good at everything and is only 20, so maybe he turns great in some specific categories, or all of them, for all that I know. But, yeah, I mean, that was one of those where I thought if they moved those two, it might have been a bit more than just two spots. And the move with the Rockets, yeah, that one stings. The Josh Giddy pick on the surface and the immediate reaction was that was weird because when you look at potential, Jonathan Kuminga, he's a traditional small forward with the most potential, and then James Booknight was the best fit. So 
I'd say Josh Giddy is almost like a, a blend between those two where the fit kind of works because he is a playmaker next to SGA and he was so good in the NBL. LaMelo Ball was the rookie of the year in the NBA this season after posting similar numbers in Australia like Josh Giddy is doing and he's looked pretty good around his peers. Like I legit saw him in a YouTube video with Matisse Thibel, like when he was recording the Olympic videos, Josh Giddy's full on talking in those things. He's a part of a lot of professional deals right now, and he was playing amazing. So you hope that jump is huge. It's all about that jumper though, and where that ceiling could take him, because I will say, like, the fit would be funky without that jump shot the playmaking though he's one of the better ones here and as a person he's got so much personality you you cannot hate the guy like that is actually impossible i feel like so josh giddy he's got tools and he has a lot of potential it was just one of those where i feel like if you wanted to hone in on a specific area maybe josh giddy wasn't your guy but he might be the jack of all trades and what the thunder were looking for and that's just those oversized guards so they got the best one left there if you want to go that route trey man i like the pick i really like the pick actually now that i've been able to reevaluate things because i've had him as someone i'd like the thunder to take i kind of pulled it back out whenever we saw sangoon there but Nah, I mean, the way he plays, it mirrors a lot of what I've seen from SGA, and that doesn't mean he's going to be SGA, like I said yesterday, or in my last pod, but that makes him one of those microwave guys kind of at a minimum, and he's still a very good passer at that. Talked about JRE as a very high floor guy, you can't go wrong there, and Aaron Wiggins was a great selection to take, and I think they actually already converted him to a two-way deal there, so... He's going to get a lot of run in between the two franchises with the blue and with the thunder. Renz Blindberg would have been cool. He actually needed a guaranteed contract to play, so the thunder wouldn't have been able to cater that to him. If they gave him a two-way, which he's been offered, he straight up had to play overseas, so he would have been a good potential pick at 55. If they just wanted a two-way contract, though, this is a really good 3 and D guy you can base things off of, so... I like what we saw from the Thunder. Could we have seen more splashes? Of course we could have. Could there have been more electric prospects? For sure. But I don't think it was a complete loss. You know, I think that just like maybe it was conceived, uh, perceived, and overpay for like a primo, that could have just been that for Josh Giddy. So we'll see what's up with them. I'm going to get you guys up to date on some more thunder news tomorrow but that is going to do it for today's pod so i thank you all for listening and i'll talk to you all next time see ya